if you're absolutely certain that this is how it's going to be or this is what's going to happen, then you're not looking out the side of your eye. You're not seeing all the other things that could potentially be there. And there's a whole world out there. This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action with host Arman Shraki. Each week, Armin will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of SaaS Scaled. And I'm pleased to have my guest this week is Andy Sarwatok, and he's with a company named Onyx Networking. Andy, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Thanks very much, Armin. I'm very excited to do this. I love doing podcasts. I started as a nerd very, very early in my in my life. When I was a kid, I tore apart the home PC and scrambled to put it back together as my dad stood over me a little upset that I had destroyed the home computer. So I, I managed to put that back together and it, it worked again. And then I kind of got really, really intrigued by IT as a whole. So as my career and schooling and everything kind of developed, I started out in the IT world. I was did lots of different jobs in IT, help desk, data center, email administration, you name it. I worked for a lot of hotel companies and there was some people coming, people going, and I was one of the people who left. And then a few years later, one of those hotel companies was was splicing out. It got bought by a, another parent company and they were pulling it out. And they were going to have to figure out how to do their own IT services. And this was something that that particular hotel chain had not done. So one of my old colleagues, he was brought in to run the IT group for that. And he reached out and said, hey, we're setting up IT for this hotel. And we're going to do this new thing with Google. So this is back in 2008, 2000. Nine. So 2008, 2009, he says, we're going to do this thing with Google. Uh, Google's got this new email product and this new uh, productivity software product that enterprises can use. We're going to put that in instead of doing Exchange. I mean, I was already using it at that point. I'd been on Gmail since 2004. I knew about Google Docs, Google Sheets, all that kind of stuff. And so I was really excited. So I got on there. I did six-month tour, running around all the different hotels, helping train them, teach them how to use Google, and yes, explaining that we are going to use Gmail for work. Yes, I know that sounds weird, but it's what we're doing. After six months on the road, which was a very long time, we finally had the whole hotel on the new platform ready to go. And I kind of sat there and said, okay, now what? The SaaS solution or the, the the workspace, as it's called today, that solution is very self-sustaining. I mean, it's I don't want to say it's set it and forget it. There's quite a bit to it. But at that time, I mean, it was set up the users and, and that was it. I mean, maybe delete users and reset passwords, but I didn't have to clear white space. I didn't have to set up new servers or patch them or anything like that. So I tried to figure out what we could do, like what is my role now that I'm the mail administrator here, which turned into it stopped being mail administrator and it became kind of a productivity expert. 
I kind of asked the question, what can we do now? Now that we're on Workspace, what do we do now? What can it do for us now that we've got it? And so I started reaching out into the community with the users and figuring out what could we do with it. And what I really quickly discovered was something kind of interesting. The platform itself, and this was, keep in mind, this was more than 10 years ago. The platform then was so intuitive that the users were actually starting to do things on their own. I'll give you a real quick story on this one. There was uh, one of the hotels I worked at, the mini bar, the mini bar team, they needed to go to the rooms and find out what had been taken from the, the fridges. And they wrote it all down and then they'd run back downstairs and stock the cart, bring it all back and put it back in the rooms. What they'd actually done, I had no idea. They went out and they bought Android tablets. They used the guest Wi-Fi in the hotel and they set up a spreadsheet. And so instead of two guys running around the hotel doing all this, one guy's running around the hotel with the tablet updating the spreadsheet. And there's a guy downstairs in the mini bar stocking the cart. So as soon as it was done, he ran downstairs and the two of them, they grabbed the cart, they went back and they filled the whole room. They cut time doing that. It was pretty impressive. I had nothing to do with it. This was something that they came up with. And so I quickly realized that this was something that we needed to to push. This was kind of the new wave of, of productivity as I saw it. So we started having more and more meetings with the users trying to figure out, you know, what do you do every day? How could you possibly do that differently? I rode that with, with that hotel company for a while and then I like that. So I started, I switched to another company and tried to do the same thing. And that's when I actually finally got my dream job of being technical pre-sales. And so Onyx Networking hired me. I had many, many years of IT experience, but none in sales. And so they put me into this half sales, half technical, half nerd role kind of thing and worked my way up as much as I thought I was going to love the job. I really did. And I still, to this day, do. As a director, I don't get to meet with customers nearly as much as I would like to. I'm planning to change that. We'll see how it goes. So I worked my way up there and Onyx now, when I started there, it was, it was several years ago. I started and I was focused specifically on workspace. They had other practices. I'm going to blend the stories here a little bit. So Onyx networking has been around for 30 years now. After several years in business, they were the first enterprise partner for Google. So back in 2002, what happened was Google created this cool box called a search appliance, Google search appliance, the GSA. And the idea was to take everything, the, the magic that is Google searching and stick it in a box, put it in your data center, and then you can feed all your data into it. You get the magic of Google, but for your subset of data. And they said, we've got this magic box that we want to sell. And the target was government. Government has a lot of information to index and a lot of information surfacing problems. And so they said, we want to sell to search. And Onyx already had contracts to sell networking gear to a lot of governments. And so they said, let's work with you. We'll figure out how we can go about selling to these government agencies, these Google search appliances. And we did really well at that. We did so well that we then partnered on their maps practice. I, I can't say that we were first to market on that one. But years later in 2007, when they decided to start selling Google apps for work, they came to us and said, let's figure this out. We want to go with you. And so again, first to market with figuring all this out. And so Onyx themselves actually figured out most of the, alongside Google, I'm not going to say we take all the credit, but alongside Google, we figured out what are the best practices? What's the right approach to be deploying Google within enterprise environments and small environments and things like that. So we quite literally helped write the book on, on how we do that. 
and the interesting thing there was all the many years of IT administration and best practices were kind of thrown out the window. We found the rip the bandaid off approach was actually the right way to go about things and not trying to minimize through change management and, and smaller chunks and stuff like that. And so we've had a tremendous amount of success over a decade worth of success in doing that type of migration. So when I started in 2015, I started with Onyx. When I started, Google was just getting their feet wet with this cloud computing thing. And so AWS was already kind of rolling with it. I don't think Microsoft had really picked up anything at all. And Google had created this very cool cloud platform solution. It was a development platform in the cloud. It's going to drive me nuts. I can't think of the name of it. App Engine. So you're able to put your code in the cloud and you don't have to worry about the server that runs it or the environment that runs it, all that kind of stuff, which was really cool for developers and startups, people making new things. But it wasn't very good for companies, legacy companies who were doing, you know, I've got my ACPAC server running or I've got my Citrix environment. Didn't really work well for that. We didn't want to have to rewrite or develop a brand new ACPAC just to be able to use the cloud. So that's where AWS was kind of winning. And then at the time, Google was, they had App Engine going and they were kind of starting to shift. And so I think it was around that time, like Compute Engine came out and stuff like that. So Google was just kind of taking off on that. And so Onyx jumped in on that one too. And now we've got full-blown practices for data, for app modernization, managed services, cloud adoption and security. So to sum it all up, Onyx is an across-the-board Google partner. Any of the enterprise services that you use, we can help you with implementing that, best practices, utilizing it. We are a reseller as well. So if you if you want to send your sustained use discounts through us or you want to buy your workspace licenses, we can help you with all of that. And we bundle it all together to make it all work really well. That's me and Onyx. <laughs> so from your perspective, when you look at a SaaS company versus you look at a non-software company, do you see differences the way they look at this kind of Google platform for using for you know managing their documents and emails and everything do you see any difference and if you see can you elaborate on those differences that you have observed absolutely there's a difference well there's one of the things in selling any kind of a SaaS solution or cloud or anything like that there's one kind of pivotal question that we always ask at least ourselves but we don't ask it directly to customers but you know are they cloud ready is this organization ready to actually work in the cloud and that question has a lot of depth to it. It could be at the C-level. The C-levels don't really understand. Like when you switch to cloud, it very quickly becomes OpEx instead of CapEx, right? So we, we are now paying for what we use rather than front-loaded investments. That's a hard thing for a lot of people to get their head around. It really looks different on a balance sheet, I'll tell you that. But through the years, we found ways to work through that. Another huge aspect to it is from the technical portion you know are they technically ready for that and having been in IT as long as I have and, and working with all kinds of different companies it's very binary just to use a technical term on it people are either emotionally attached to the infrastructure or they're very excited about what the cloud could really represent in technical you'll either hit a hurdle of you know, I built this, this is my legacy. They'll never come out and say that, but it comes out as we can do it better. 
we know our business, we know our data, and we're going to be able to better protect it. I've, I've dealt with this for years. And so you'll hit that roadblock sometimes, not insurmountable, but you'll hit it. On the other side, you'll get the people who are the technical people who are very eager for new technologies. They, they, they research it. They're very excited about it and they'll see it. They jump right in when these opportunities present themselves. The last one is kind of the user base. In every technical project, you can't forget the users. They're the ones who are going to be doing this. They're the ones who are most impacted by this. Yes, we'll get cool numbers and reporting out of these things, or we'll be more efficient by 10%, but you're not going to be more efficient by 10 or 15 or 20% unless your users adapt and, and change to actually utilize these new platforms. There is a very specific question that we ask is, is this company cloud ready? And there's a lot of different layers to it. Judging by my personal experience, when I started my previous company in 2000, Logi Analytics, as you say, you know, we had to go and just set up Exchange server and, you know, the things that you do, having the servers physically and then running it and then backup and what is your backup, you know, running, is it update? And then when I started my recent company, Curvey, that it was 2015, 2016, it was just natural choice for us to go with Google back then, uh, Google Apps, now Google you know, workspace. And the difference was a lot, right? So you could just set it up and done and very organically, it was just managed. Of course, we are a software company, so our folks are very familiar with the software. Honestly, from, you know, that perspective, it was autopilot since then uh, with some kind of, you know, one person looking at it, of course, from time to time for different things. For the most part, it has been, you know, there's no need to check the backup there is nothing to worry about the server. If it goes down, what is, you know, none of those kind of things. And it has performed pretty well. No problem with performance or something. Is it a kind of natural choice now for any software company, SaaS company starting today? Is there any even a question that I should really choose anything else or from your perspective as tool, there are some caveats there and SaaS companies need to pay attention to some of these cases. It's almost a no-brainer these days, simply because, and I'm, I'm generalizing here, but the majority of the startups are coming out of innovators and younger generation. And Google did something really smart a number of years ago and dropped Google into all of the schools for students for free. And so the students have been using this platform. They're doing their homework on it. I mean, my kids have Google Classroom accounts and they're, they're in kindergarten and grade two. Right? Like, and they have classroom accounts. They know how to use these tools. I remember working with PwC at one point. We partnered on something and we were talking about it. And PwC has a very young average age for their employees. And they found that the people coming in, they were still on Outlook. This is actually why PwC changed to or adopted Google. I don't can't remember if they changed their email or not. But the younger generation was struggling. They could not figure out how they were supposed to collaborate on the PowerPoint presentations. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what do you mean I have to email it to you and you'll work on your part? I, I don't understand. Let me into the presentation. I'll edit it. Right. They were losing productivity because the younger generation had to be retrained on using Outlook. I, I had a very similar experience with a customer. I told them 80% of the schools use, use Google Workspace. Everybody's familiar with it. And the, the tipping point for age groups is now more people know Workspace and grew up with it in school than, than not. He said, well, I'm looking at the course curriculums here at the local university, and they have one here that teaches you Outlook. And I just said, yeah, they have to teach them Outlook and Excel because they're not used to it. <laughs> right? 
And so he thought he had me on that one, but I got him. It really is a natural choice because if you look at the tools that Google's building to have answer this question every day for customers, they're like, well, I mean, isn't this a consumer product? And it's like, well, it's an enterprise product with a consumer test base. There's over a billion people using Gmail every day. They wouldn't be using it if it wasn't easy. And so when you move that into an enterprise tool, you have the easy interface that people have chosen, and then you back that with enterprise-grade security. Now you've got something that's really effective in the hands of your users. Yes, easy, easy choice these days. It's, it's the default. You'd have to have a specific reason, I think, to pick Microsoft. I don't bash my competition. Microsoft has a decent product. I mean, it does, it does a lot of good things. And I mean, there's a lot of people using it. But if, if people are starting from scratch, even just starting up an 0365 domain, I mean, it's a little bit more complicated. You're going to have to remember to get people to install the software because they're not used to using the web-based versions of them all. So, But Google's just natural for them. They're probably using consumer accounts and they're like, let's just upgrade these to work. You mentioned also something that we have seen and we have experienced it with mobile as well. Again, going back to, for example, 2007, 2008, 2010 era, even back then, BlackBerry tool was the enterprise kind of, you know, email, mobile, or phone that is very secure and has that. And then, of course, the consumer side, then we started experiencing working with phones like iPhone and these kind of things that was more on the consumer side. And over the course of years, then the security was better and improved to the point that now you can use iPhone in a very kind of, you know, secure environment as well. And, you know, corporations and everyone is embracing that kind of phone. So it's not like this is the phone for, you know, work and this is the phone from consumer standpoint. It's just merging. And the same thing happened with Google, for example, as you said, it started as a consumer kind of email. And then now there is no question because so many organizations are using it. And it's not even a question at this point that if it's good for business or not. Absolutely. When I was rolling out Google with Delta Hotels, I remember my boss saying to me, he's like, remember, we got to make sure we got to find a way to lock down the mail so that it's only on corporate devices. He's like, can you tell if anyone's checking their mail or, or doing it on their phones? And I'm like, yeah, there's loads of people. And he's like, uh, can we shut that down? Can we lock that down? And I just looked at him and I said, why? They're using their own cell phone that they paid for and they're paying for their own data plan and they're doing work for us. Why would I block them? Well, security. I'm like, come on, it's Google. <laughs> like the security's there. You can't, you, you can't splice into their network. You can't, even if you did, you can't even understand the networking technologies that they're using. The operating systems are different. There's nobody more secure than Google right now. So like, and we ended up letting it go. We were like, fine, if you want to use your phone, go ahead. So of course we see on both sides, we see more citizen developers on the development side, as well as we see actually citizens, as you say, sometimes even doing what used to be done by IT. Because now, you know, things have changed. They are now easier. They are cloud-based. There's less maintenance. How do you see the role of IT now compared to what it was? And normally, when you get to that point and outsource more work to citizens, to everyday users, to really do more, 
then normally what happens if now the other group that used to do some of those things, now they find more advanced tasks and they can do things that maybe in the past they didn't have time to think about it and do it. So how do you see the progress being made now in that world? Yeah, that's a great question. Shameless plug for Onyx. We help with this kind of thing. So, <laughs> yeah. So what we're seeing is, and I'm, there, there's kind of two questions in there. It's sort of what is what's happening with the user base and, and how is the IT role changing? So I'll, I'll try to talk to both of them kind of at the same time. So the kind of phrase I've, I've been using lately, I don't know if I came up with it or if I stole it or what, but citizen enablement is what I've been talking about. And those who've been around for NIT for a very long time, you'd recognize what I would what I would describe as citizen enablement. You'd describe it as shadow IT traditionally. Shadow IT, just for, for those who may not know, I mean, that was back in the day when I was an administrator and we used to lock down. It was that big perimeter firewall approach, right? Nothing gets in, nothing gets out unless we say so. And so shadow IT was, you know, someone brought in a rogue application, they installed it, and now they're doing something with it. Well, we don't know what that app does. and We don't know who's, where the data is going to go. And I mean, the cloud makes that even scarier, right? Because like, now it's it's not even on the desktop and in the, in the side of the firewall, it's up in the cloud and it's interacting with our data. The interesting thing is with that, so citizen enablement is, is is the SaaS solutions and allowing people to do these things, right? As your company moves more into the cloud and they start adopting more SaaS-based solutions, even private cloud or not or whatever, I mean, you start looking at things like, like Salesforce and Gmail or Google Workspace, excuse me, as a whole. There's these other tools out there that allow you to integrate those two together. When an email comes in, it automatically creates a Salesforce record, or I update the Salesforce record and it automatically sends an email. It goes both ways, right? These tools kind of sit there, and what they can do is let these users do their job better. And who knows how to better do their job? I mean, everyone's always trying to make their lives easier. I can't think of a person who would want to make it more difficult. So they're always trying to find a way to automate their own job. And so these tools allow you to do that. IT can come in with business process workflow solutions from a heavy hand and say, this is how we're going to do it. But they're always looking at the 80%. They, they never look at the fringe cases, right? The fringe cases will deal with off to the side, but most people want to do it this way. And so what this does is it allows for that 20% or even the 100%. It allows these users to figure out what their workflow is and how their lives can be made easier. And so this is a fantastic thing to allow organizations to do. It increases productivity. It increases morale. I mean, you don't have to let people think they're getting away with things, so to speak, but empowering those users to be able to make decisions and make their lives easier. It makes for a great culture, a great work environment. But, but how does that change the IT scope? So IT traditionally, we would be the ones who would show up and we would evaluate 10 different pieces of software and figure this is the one. It fits most of the use cases. And so you're all going to have to use it. And the analogy I always use for that type of scenario is you got to let your users pick their tools. You can, you can bake a cake with a hammer, but it's not going to be a very good tasting cake. It's great for putting up shells and hammering those and fixing steps, but it's not very good at baking or, or accounting for that matter. So let people use the tools that, that, that work best for their job. And so this is, of course, a scary premise for IT. And that's where IT's role changes a bit. We need to stop focusing on, on solving their problems. We need to focus on enabling them to solve their problems, but maintaining protection and security 
around that. And so SaaS-based solutions, if designed well, I won't lie, there's some bad SaaS solutions out there, but there's some very, very good ones. If they're designed properly, they have security foremost in mind. And so they're thinking about how to protect your data, how to make sure that it stays secure. And so as you move into the cloud, you start looking at things like zero trust. And so zero trust is basically, it's a nag. For lack of a better description, it's a nag. It sits there, and as every transaction, every time you type a key in a Google Doc, something gets sent to Google to say, put the letter G on the screen, and then it comes back and says, okay, I set, I put the letter G. Every time that, that type of transaction happens, there's someone standing there going, are you who you say you are? Are you using a device that we trust? Are you on a network that we trust? And so we're really putting the protection around the data rather than the big perimeter. Actually, someone described it a couple of weeks ago as a castle with a moat. Right. You can put the moat around, but if the bad actor gets inside, no one's watching them anymore. And so with SaaS based solutions, we have that that nag, that person that's running around following every transaction and making sure that every, every time you open a door, every time you lift up a plate inside the castle, someone's going, hey, should you be doing that? <laughs> That's what SaaS allows us to do, and that's where IT needs to kind of pivot to. We need to make sure that we're picking uh, solutions that are accessible by other solutions so that they, they can interact. Like um, you can pick a cloud-based accounting software, but if it doesn't interface with Salesforce, you're, you're really tying your hands there. So the solutions that we find need to be a little bit more broad, a little bit more open, and we need to let the users kind of help us decide on those tools. And then we need to focus on the security focus like there's a lot more focus on making sure that those transactions are are secure and that the people who are accessing the data should be able to do that when they're doing it not not just any time not just a broad spectrum of well it's bob so he can have access it's bob but he's on a computer we don't know so no you can't edit that document no you can't download that confidential file so those are the kinds of things that you need to to start focusing on it's a, a very different approach to security in the past, it was very much fences and, and, and guards. And now it's a little bit more like a nag. <laughs> to summarize what you say, maybe if you had two IT people in the past, for example, now you can have the same two IT people, but rather than just doing the easiest stuff or basic stuff, now you can expect those two people to focus on a variety of things that maybe in the past you couldn't do and you couldn't afford doing it. And now you can, you know, like security, more advanced things. But it's really the way it is today that you are really doing, you are expecting more and doing more advanced from IT. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of times, uh, sorry, in the earlier days, of, uh, it's a little bit better now. Uh, people understand the cloud a little bit better in SaaS solutions, in IT in particular. But in the early days of trying to sell workspace to customers, you always had an IT guy and you could tell that they were just, they were paranoid. They were afraid that I'm the email guy. What happens when I move this over here? They could see that they're not going to have to patch the servers. They're not going to have to clear off white space. They're not going to have to deal with database migrations and bridgehead servers and all of that. They don't have to do that anymore. And so what's my job now? And so the answer that we would always give them is you can focus on strategic objectives. IT used to be a cost center. It was, it was there to make the company run. 
now it becomes a strategic advantage over your competition. Something as simple as being able to edit documents faster and turn around documents back to the customer, agreements, statements of work or presentations or, or copyright or whatever. Being able to do that faster than your competition because you can collaborate better, that's a strategic advantage. And so IT is now a strategic portion of the business. It's not just a cost center to keep it operational. And even you mentioned a point that was pretty interesting, and that was the impact of the way you manage and you do IT and you architect IT on the culture of the company that you cultivate, right? And it has always been the case. So part of that is really the way that you look at IT. Also, it tells something about the culture of the company, but also the other way, the way IT is working, it interacting and the way it lets employees and people inside the company interact with each other also, it just changes the course. It changes the way that is going to cultivate and building a different kind of culture. So that's the other point that probably, you know, is, is something that IT can have a, you know, impact on it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the deep question I mentioned earlier about are they cloud ready? Culture is a huge part of it. I, I didn't really articulate that well, but if you have old school companies with old school mentality and the senior leadership, I don't mean to be rude to them or anything, but you probably, you don't have the right people under you or the right culture that's been created there to support letting people figure out how to do their jobs better and, and, and allowing a cost center to become a strategic partner within the org. So there's a mentality that has to go along with that. And culture is a huge part of, of really embracing cloud culture, I guess I'll say. Yeah, fantastic. That was a redundant statement, but... <laughs> Anything you have seen on the Google Cloud part, for example, and running it, especially for SaaS companies who are technologically more advanced and people within that company, most of them are software guys and may understand better. Is there any particular aspect of it that is, you know, they can leverage actually and do better. And then most of us may not even know about it. For example, you may say, you know, you can really increase searchability or you can increase, you know, for example, accessibility of your data or you can increase because there are some other capabilities. It's not part of just what you go and just sign up for Google and start your startup and SaaS company and you go with it. But there are tons of things that you can still add that adds value. And considering that, again, we are talking about an environment that people are more technologically savvy and can embrace more of those advanced technologies. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's hordes of Gartner reports and whatnot out there that, that talk about how, you know, these um, increasing the collaboration between users um, in any way, shape or form, it just drives productivity through the roof. Like people are happier, they do better work, you know, like it's, I know Google has a transformations website and it just talks about all the different ways that people are using Google. Um, and I mean, we have... I could, I could go on for probably a, a year nonstop talking to tell you all the different stories that we've seen in all of our customers. So every customer we deploy, every customer we begin to engage with, I always learn something new, some new way to do something that I'd never thought of before. And I've been doing this for, well, since 2009, I've been dealing with Google. So <laughs> it's been a long time and I still learn something new all the time. Now, is there any particular maybe source, maybe a particular data or a 
reference that from your perspective, SaaS companies need to look at it to get a better understanding of the IT technologies in general and the trend and, you know, have a kind of good understanding on that part that they should subscribe to. I'll, I'll do another shameless plug for Onyx here, but we recently released a white paper called The Seven Domains of Change. It was written internally. We, we put it out and it basically explains all the different aspects that an organization needs to consider when they're, when they're making a change to the organization. It's not even cloud specific or SaaS specific or anything like that, but it's very, the way it's written is we wrote it on our cloud side of the business, not necessarily our SaaS side, but the, the concepts that are in it are very transferable between the different orgs or between the different sides. It talks about all of the different aspects all the different like there's there's things that you probably didn't consider culture and infrastructure and things like that like there's so many different pieces that uh, organizations don't consider it is a fantastic read in terms of understanding exactly what to expect uh, when you're moving to the cloud in terms of understanding the best way to like how the cloud is really going to benefit you i mean there's there's a ton out there there was another white paper from Google I read years ago that did a great job of explaining it. It was very technical, though. It really empowered you to understand if you could grasp the tech that was in it. And it wasn't that crazy, but it was about sharding data and the way that Google's data centers actually store the information to make sure for high availability and redundancy. And it really showed you just how powerful the cloud can be. The way that Google has set up their data centers with redundancy and then you take like the piece of data and it's it's copied a million times I'm, I'm exaggerating but it's copied a, a million times and each of those is encrypted and then they separate the key and then they, they make sure there's a copy of each of those fragments in, in, in at least five data centers and all of this and you really realize that literally Google could unplug the connection for a data center and you, you don't even notice like your your email doesn't blip nothing hangs up you don't even notice a little hourglass spinning that document really got me to understand just how exciting the cloud can be those were the two publications that i could think of that would really and i'll i'm i'll provide links for those but and i would like to ask at the end if you have any kind of long lasting impact you have had from reading any book or any you know thing that you would like to introduce that book and say this has had definitely positive impact and you know on me and what i do and it doesn't have to be technical can be anything that has impacted you know your work and yeah. your life positive i've read pretty much everything patrick lencioni has ever written so <laughs> um i'll always recommend those but the book that sticks with me the most in my entire life and this is business personal life in general is and it's the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy the entire series i mean there's so much in that book i actually didn't read it when i was that young i was probably late teens when i read it for the first time but it just the way that douglas adams had you questioning everything that was going on it really led me to i guess it matched with my personality i, I just i always have another question you know, it's, I never have the full answer and, and you have to be okay with you're never going to get the full answer of all the quotes in the entire book and everything. The thing I remember the most is when Arthur Dent learns to fly. He does it by accident. And what happens is he realizes that the trick to flying is to fall, but forget to hit the ground. 
So as he's falling through the air, he's distracted because he's millions and millions of light years away from where he's supposed to be. And he notices out of the corner of his eye, the suitcase that the airport had lost like 10 years ago. It, it, there's no reason for it to be there. But as he's about to hit the ground, he sees this suitcase sitting out of the corner of his eye and he thinks, what the heck? And he forgets to hit the ground. <laughs> and so he just starts flying and he realizes really quickly that the trick to flying is forgetting to hitting the ground. And now that he knows the trick, it's really easy. And that right there stuck with me. It was just, it's, if you focus on the end goal, if you're constantly trying to, to make sure and you're certain of things, if you're absolutely certain that this is how it's going to be, or this is what's going to happen, then you're not looking out the side of your eye. You're not seeing all the other things that could potentially be there. And there's a whole world out there. I forget what it was. I heard it somewhere, but someone said, if you want to make yourself look interesting, look up. And so I, I was like, what? And so walking down the street, when you, if you look up and you'll see it in people, everyone's usually either looking eye level or most times now they're looking down a little bit into their phones, but they're staring eye level or down. But I, I live in Toronto up in, in Canada and I realized walking around downtown one day, I look up and there's amazing looking architecture all over the place. There's some really old bank buildings, there's churches and without looking up, you'll never see that. So focusing on the end goal and just that you miss out on so much. Fantastic point. And that's a great point to end with. And thank you very much, Andy, for the time. And it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure being here. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ashragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com. <laughs>